We recently launched Liberation Martial Arts Online for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free, or perhaps one that came directly from us. Thanks to Clint, Ellen, and Beata for signing up. If you would like to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online, or you just want to increase your financial support of the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. This is Sam. This is Jason. And this is Fight Study. Coach Jason and I are back to discuss UFC 275. What a surprisingly good card. Also, having a fight in Asia has a different crowd feel. It just feels like it's about the quality of the fight, which is what made this event so good. Let's first talk about the main event between Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohaska for the light heavyweight title. It was like a fight from an action movie. It was back and forth with Teixeira probably on his way to a decision victory of some sort. Then with less than 30 seconds left, Prohaska reverses and gets the submission victory despite being dominated on the ground, not just in the final round, but every round. Now we have a new champ and in only his third UFC fight. Jason, before we go into individual performances, just as a fan rather than as a technician, overall impression of the fight and whether the ending shocked you? Well, I love the caveat that as a fan, <laughs> but because as, as a fan, I felt like the MMA gods granted both fighters superhuman chins and a reckless disregard for striking defense, right? Which was outstanding because it, it resulted in more fun and entertainment than anything Dana White is a part of really deserves. So, uh, and if you would have told me that Prohaska would have zero hooks in and submit old man Glover, you know, I would have dismissed you like, I like a federal judge and you were the goddamn Trump kids. You know, it was really that incredible the way it played out. Because it, I mean, if you told me that ahead of time, it made strange credulity so much that like, really, and with 30 seconds left, the miracle submission is going to go by way of Prohaska. <laughs> Man, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. But it made for just an outstanding main event. And it really, really overperformed, I thought. Yeah, throughout the fight, I think it was really hard to know who was going to win this fight because it wasn't just about the back and forth. It was also so chaotic. You weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Yeah, and they were they were staying within their, their wheelhouse while doing stuff that they do, but doing it poorly because the <laughs> other one was, like, like I said, for an old man, Glover Teixeira has that he's strong. So he just grabs a single leg, and you try to do the the – the real wrestling shit that you're supposed to do. And he just, all of a sudden he just keeps elevating and elevating. All you could do is sort of jump forward and somersault, which is probably what Yuri would have done anyway. But it all looked, it, it, it looked wrong and ugly and beautiful all at the same time. <laughs> and then it just kept, it kept doing that round after round. So I, I, I really enjoyed the fight. And I know as like a technical snob, I tend to, like Bach at that style of fighting. But if there was ever a place and a time for it, it was that. As a coach, would you recommend anyone fight like Prohaska? <laughs> no goddamn way. Uh, he's, no, I would. He's, he's an obvious outlier with tremendous 
really tremendous physical gifts and some real psychological intangibles. Uh, but Jesus Christ, is he easy to hit flush? I mean, the shots Reyes hit him with, they were really clean and would sleep most 205ers. Um, and it's no different than the shots Glover hit him with. And it's really remarkable how Yuri, he keeps his he keeps his wits about him and stays standing after eating such shots. And yes, he'll get a little wild, but he doesn't he doesn't lose composure and he stays in the moment and and he he recovers and comports himself nicely. I appreciate Prohaska stayed true to himself and didn't all of a sudden have a different style just because this was a title fight, especially against a better grappler. He just is what he is, a Tasmanian devil. That's exactly what he is. And I was really surprised too. I thought I was afraid uh, that that he was going to like decrease his aggression for fear of getting taken down. But it was the total opposite. You, know, you, you call him a Tasmanian devil. He's, he's a Tasmanian devil that, that got into a fucking murder hornet's nest and was like, hey, man, this isn't so bad. <laughs> he comes out to the other side and says, hey, look at all those dead fucking hornets. Now he's, he's wild without panic. And I, I, you, you can't call it controlled chaos because it isn't really controlled. And it also, it, it isn't even all that chaotic because it's a – a freestyle, it's a style free of the technical constraints of fighting as you and I know it, as fighting as a study and a science. You know, and as such, it truly is the closest thing we see to a real freestyle version of mixed martial arts that is as, as, as rare as it is entertaining. And the only person I've ever seen pull it off the way that, the way that Yuri Prohaska does is Yuri Prohaska. Now let's analyze Prohaska. Could you discern any type of game plan from watching this fight? I really think he does it by feel. I think he wants to know if if you if you ever watched Bull Durham, whenever he's in that movie doesn't age all that well, but the the pitcher says, I want to announce my presence with authority. And the catcher is like, Well, he's a first ball fastball hitter. Like he's looking for your kind of heat. And all all year he wants to do is see how you handle it. And I think, I think like that kind of, I mean, you can call it self-belief, that kind of um, commitment to what he does well and what he does really well is overwhelms people that he's, I don't think he has like a checklist of, I'm going to go out there and start off with this. And if he does this, I'm going to do this. I think, and I don't know, but I, I think it, a lot of it is, is a feel thing. I like how he's not a specialist in how some fighters are really technical grapplers, but their striking is chaotic or their wrestling is perfect, but they have no submissions or their striking is undisciplined. But with Prohaska, he is consistent. His boxing, his BJJ, his wrestling, Muay Thai are all equally wrong. Like a wrestling coach would cringe, a boxing coach would cringe, a Muay Thai coach, a BJJ coach, and so forth. Yet he wins and he finishes nearly all of his fights. So this was a long preamble to set up the context to how is he so good? Well, that's the beauty of of Yuri Prohaska. I mean, there is a beautiful ugliness to MMA in general. And Prohaska is the embodiment of that, right? So uh, let me put it this way. Um, if Yuri is is great jazz music, then his, his punches are a little bit of Miles Davis. His kicks would be a little bit of Thelonious Monk. And I guess now that he submitted Glover to Shara, that his grappling would be John Coltrane. 
But my, my point there is that, you know, there's sporadic key changes and wild disjointed rhythms that didn't work in traditional music. But if his body is the jazz ensemble, all the musicians are aware and together, often intuitively, like a jam session. And that's how, that's sort of how he fights. And he, he, t- t- he stayed true to that lack of form. Let's keep it focused on Yuri because I know a lot of people are going to say Glover jumping guard, hunting for the guillotine. Uh, that, that did happen. But Prohaska stayed calm. He never panicked. And when fighting a 42-year-old man over the course of 24-plus minutes, if you're still in it and you still have any gas in the tank, then you have a shot. And Prohaska was still there after 24 and a half minutes. And the man shot his shot. And the rest is history. Literally going down in history is one of the best, one of the best light heavyweight fights of all time. What's interesting is that because he is so chaotic, he makes his opponents chaotic and therefore also sloppy. In his three UFC fights, all of his opponents made major mistakes. And because now I've seen this three times, I'm like, oh, he makes them make mistakes because he pulls them into the chaos. How is he making his opponents sloppier and having them make rookie mistakes? Well, number one, you nailed it with uh, pulling them into the chaos because that sort of broken rhythm, disjointed timing, having a granite chin, loads of power, gigatons of grit, and a knack for effective creativity like in the middle of battle, in the midst of it all. Um, And with all of that, we see over and over again that Prosky gets himself into trouble and never quits. He never gets down on himself and he never panics. He compartmentalizes his mistakes like a goldfish brain, and just recovers, and then just jumps right back into the fucking hornet's nest. And that's what he's built for. I've seen very few individuals that I've come across that are able to do that. I give Paul Felder credit and I, uh, more often than not about the way he's able to do that. And he, he fights above himself um, physically. And I think Prohaska fights above himself with his technical deficiencies. And, and it's amazing when you have that kind of grizzled ability to compartmentalize the bad. And if you have the conditioning and the chin to persevere, you can find your shit when it's necessary. And fighters like that are able to do it. I think that's how Pro Oscar's been able to to sort of cat him, catapult himself to championship status in three fights in the UFC. Yeah, he's got a, a strong background in other promotions, but you know, he was able to, to do what he did in the UFC in relative short order. I think for his opponents, there's also a sense of, I need to put this guy away right away because he's too dangerous to keep around. So part of it is in trying to finish him, Prohaska finds opportunities to come back. But I totally get that logic because if he stays around to the last round, like what happened in this fight, he can finish you. He is dangerous every second of the fight in every way. He has incredible self-belief. He's one of those guys who taps people better than him because he doesn't know you're supposed to beat him, which we saw in this fight. Uh, that, uh, that self-belief is, is tr- the true intangible that I think is, is what makes his, his disjointed freestyle work so well. I mean, he truly believes in it. And that kind of self-belief, um, especially whenever you are trying to persevere in the face of any any mistakes. And no fight is mistake-free, but Yeri's fights are pretty mistake-prone. That self-belief really delivers time and time again. 
And because he has those other intangibles and the tangibles, he's a big, strong, athletic man. Um, but he, he is fearless. And when you are fearless, you can be reckless because it, that, I guess, that lack of consideration for, for what horrors may befall you from fighting with this specific style is what keeps him from ever being hesitant. And that's why even under fatigue, like he still looks a step ahead of other fighters when they're starting to fatigue because they're both, I mean, it's always a knockdown drag out when he's in there, but when the other person's tired, they're having second thoughts. And when Yuri's tired, he's having fucking first thoughts and that's fucking you up. Like that's his thought. He makes fighters who normally take their time and are methodical. He creates the sense of urgency, right? So they don't fight like themselves. All of a sudden they're going a hundred miles an hour. So I think that's part of it is not just pulling them into the chaos, but like, he strikes panic in them. It's not that they don't think that they could beat him, but it's almost like they're messing around with a ticking time bomb. They feel like they need to beat him right away. And there's so much good reason for them to think that, but that's also why he wins. I think because he comes at you um, like a tornado, that people are, all of a sudden, they throw their game plan out the window and they think that they have to, to fight him on that level. And like, if you're fighting Yuri Prohaska, it's, you know, I would, I would implore any fighter not to fight Prohaska, but to try to beat Prohaska, you know, take what's available and exploit his wild tendencies and vulnerable takedown defense. That's your best bet. But if you try to try to out entertain Prohaska, you're going to end up a part of his goddamn highlight reel for the rest of your life. He almost turns it into an entertaining street fight, but ultimately he's better than them at that. He's so much better at them at it. And it, for some reason, these fighters are so uh, so eager to meet him on that front. And he's just better at it. He's built for it. Um, you know, wh what really impressed me about Glover is he did too, uh, though he mixed in takedowns, which was which was a smart move. But then he, he was like, he was fine to, to strike a little bit on his feet when he was getting a little bit tired, even after he got pieced up a bit. And, you know, he, he fought him on that level. Is it the smartest of moves? Maybe not. He did pull guard and that sort of uh, tripped some things out for him towards the end. But he was eager. Again, he's another fighter who has a differing skill set who decided to embark on just this, this massively entertaining. Um, I don't want to call it a technical brawl because that does, it does a disservice to the word technical, but it was certainly, <laughs> certainly, it was certainly an entertaining brawl. And there's elements, elements of high-level fighting ability in there. Now, previously, we talked about Prohaska's vision and timing. Did you notice that in this fight? It's, it's interesting that you bring up vision and timing because Glover, in making it a wrestling match, uh, was able to really tax the energy stores of Prohaska. And, and Yuri never, his timing never looked exceptional because of it. But still, Prohaska has excellent vision. And if you're tired and he's tired, like his vision um, and aggression, coupled with your lack of, of reflex when you're in that fatigue of a state, um, I, I think nine times out of ten, uh, Yuri wins that, um, that battle. It's not a coin flip because both are fatigued. One is tired and the other is exhausted. One is habitually aggressive and has something psychologically that gives him that it factor in, in times of um, like trial and tribulation in the midst of battle. 
So when it comes time to it, when the, the normal person, the normal fighter, uh, and they're not normal, <laughs> but the, the typical fighter has, a, especially when fatigued, tends to hesitate just because we have a, a finite amount of energy stores. And still, Yuri does not, even whenever he's in that kind of barber. So I think he's just built a little bit different. When Prohaska does have his feet underneath him, and he's actually in a fighting stance, whenever Teixeira threw a punch, he would slip it, and he'd slip it and throw a counter with impeccable precision. So he does have beautiful slips and blocks when he's in stance and can rely on his vision, but he's often out of stance, which gets him hurt at times, but it also has his opponents chasing him around, and then he changes directions as he's crashing into them with strikes, which is how a lot of his finishes happen. You can't tell which direction he's going to go, and it is nearly impossible to read his strikes, which creates more urgency for his opponents because they're like, I have no idea what's going on. I can't read anything. I'm fighting blind, which makes them sloppier. So Prohaska forces his opponents into a game of chicken because he believes he's better than them at it. But he's the one also leading this game of chicken, so he also has a one-step advantage. Yeah, that's a, that's a very astute observation. That's how he plays it. And when you asked me before, would you would you have someone fight like Yuri Prohaska? And I've never had anyone who came in with like the the skill set and, and the the physical ability, let alone the psychological intangibles that that Prohaska has. Um, and a hundred times out of hundred, I would probably say no. But when someone comes in with that sort of that, what you say, like. He challenges you to a game of chicken, and then the whole time, like he's he's winning it, but you're you're like double or nothing, triple or nothing. You know, and you find yourself in a hole after a while. Next thing you know, you know, uh, uh, times up, game set, match, everything's done. And Prohaska is able to to bait you into that because when someone is that wild, there also seems like there is that, that vulnerability, and there obviously is because everyone has been able to hit him. Right and hit him clean. That punch uh, that that Glover hit him with in round five would have probably would have ended the fight out at just about any top ten two hundred five on the planet. But he, he was still up. He was able to keep his wits about him just enough. He's not actually rolling with the punches per se, but he's constantly moving. So it kind of works in his favor, where nothing really hits him flush because he was like moving weird anyway. Wasn't he? Like he was like it almost looked like, like he was trying to hit him with his ponytail. Like he's just <laughs> moving his head just, just to keep him moving because he was hurt. Um and, and those kinds of instincts, even if it's not fully correct, you know, he was still doing something. Um you know, I've seen a ton of high kicks out of Glover Teixeira. Um he's not quite as dynamic as he was when he was younger. Um, but he still had, is a, a formidable foe and he's the world champion. And he caught him flush with, I think, a right hand right in the chin. And that, that, those left hooks just kept missing. And a couple of them did land flush. He was moving his head and he was like, I don't even know. How he, it, it was wrong defensive stuff. But he still kept that, that motion going so that he wasn't that exploitable and that hittable. And when he, when he ducked his head in Clover, grabbed it, well, he just slid off and landed in top position. And then we saw how the next 30 seconds unfolded. Now tell me about Prohaska's power and accuracy, because as strange as he moves, his punches aren't loopy like most MMA fighters 
But I think that's that's a great point because it's odd that he, for such a long rangey fighter, when he gets in tight, he is able to adjust the trajectory on his shots. For a long fighter, he's got some good inside stuff, not just elbows. When you try to exit, he's not waiting for you to almost get out of range and put you on the end of his punches. He's hitting like short little choppy right hands if you're if you're trying to exit. And then as you continue to try to create more space, it will either punch you or kick you on the exit or just pursue you that you can't get away from. His ability to find those short shots inside, exceptional for a long rangey guy. And a hook and he'll elbow. So he has, and we spoke of his vision earlier. That is vision and understanding distance, leverage, and timing. It's what a lot of boxers are able to do so well is understand this distance, leverage, and timing on their punches. For for a, a big, tall, long, rangy guy, Prohaska doesn't doesn't loop and he doesn't punch overly long if you break down that distance. So if you think your game plan is to get in tight on him with anything other than wrestling, he'll carve you up on the inside like a like a Thanksgiving fucking turkey. So he's just waiting for you. He does those little things well. And he like it's it's not a happenstance, it's not by accident. You know, we talk that uh, I say that I don't think he really has a legit game plan, but I under, I think he is fully aware and believes in what he does well. So his body will be out of position but he'll still punch straight. It's just that he'll punch across himself, right? It won't be like a loopy punch, right? He'll be like sideways to you. He can't hit you, but he'll throw the straight punch across his body to still try to hit you. So that's the strangeness of him is that he's out of position, but still throwing relatively accurate straight punches. The opponent, first of all, doesn't think they could get hit from here. And also because it is coming straight, it's hard to see because you need a little bit of hinge to be able to see the punch coming. It does. You could tell that it gets people's attention. Whenever he was fighting Reyes, he did this weird like bow. He ducked his head like he was bowing down and threw a right straight. Like First, I think he threw like an overhand right that missed. And so he sort of ducked into it and then poked it out like a joust. And all of a sudden, you see Reyes like, get hit with it. You don't think it lands flushed. All of a sudden, you're like, why is Reyes not fighting on the counter right here? Why is he giving ground? Oh, that little shit shot hurt him. He did that little, it looked like he was bowing and then just poked out a right hand, which doesn't look good. But if, if it hurts, it hurts. If it gets the fighter's attention, it does. Do I think that's eventually going to come around and catch up with him? I do. I do. Because two of fivers hit hard. And I say that, you know, like a prime Anthony Johnson would have been a problem the way, the way that he cracks. Um, but, you know, um, until then, there's not a there's not a whole lot of fighters out there I want to watch compete much more than Yuri Prohaska, and he wasn't in the UFC four fights ago. A note to our loyal listeners: If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content as well as our private chat group on Discord. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. So to explain to listeners a little bit more about what we were talking about, traditionally, let's say you duck down for a punch, right? Then you're ducking down, loading up your punch, and then your body and your punch both come up together 
yeah. creating maximum power. This is what's typically considered the correct way or traditionally done. Yuri Prohaska doesn't do that. And he adds a different element where because he's going to lose some power, he throws it like a joust. He's still able to fuck you up. And not only that, you can't read it because you've always been trained to read it where somebody ducks down and then comes up and punches up together. You don't see somebody ducking down while punching up. So all of those things just makes it harder to read. And maybe part of why it hits so hard is because of the surprise is the punch you don't see. Maybe a lot of his punches are the punches you don't see. And that's part of why it has such an effect. He's so out of position at times. Then he'll spin on something and he'll just, he'll find this, this magnificent form of violence in real time that you didn't think was there. And that was built upon like a bunch of like faulty and illogical progressions and it built into something great. And I think he understands that, Hey, it may not be the prettiest way of getting there, but like he's going to get there. He's got some funk to, he's got some funk to him. Um, where like with, with wrestling, everyone was always like yanking on the limbs and rolling around. He's just finding like jump knees. And as he lands, he throws a right hand or a right elbow and misses and then turns it into a spinning elbow and sends you to, uh, you know, the, the spirit world. <laughs> Your life's forever changed. He looks like he can beat anyone, but also lose to anyone. But this is probably unfair because he not only beats, but also finishes most of his opponents. So what kind of tools do you need to beat him? Um, I don't know if you would consider a chin a tool, but the tool is going to be good and not get wild with the chaos, not get wild with the wildness. So you need some composure um, because most people aren't built for that. They haven't trained that way. They haven't, they, I don't know, short of like a, a, a kindergarten class, a bunch of people spinning around three and four times and deciding to do anything that requires some balance. But where the average person would try it, they're going to fall or at least wobble. And Yuri stays grounded and he, and, he, and he finds what he's looking for. So patience would be necessary, 100%. Take your time. Um, and if he does start to overwhelm you, this is why I think someone with, with the wrestling chops need to make. I think if you could possibly sneak the first round against Yuri and force him to, so, and force him to rush which he has a tendency to do if he feels like he's behind because he's a fighter at heart. Well, what did I say before? Um, you're going to end up on his highlight reel if you try to try to out-entertain him. But because he has a, a tendency to rush, you could probably pick up the first round by sneaking a takedown in the middle of the cage. And when he finds himself behind, he has a tendency to pick up his aggression. And knowing that, if behavior is predictable, it's controllable. And if it's controllable, it is exploitable. You know, with having, without having a specific athlete in mind, that's the best I can really come up with. You have to have that that fighter's vision and fighter's composure. Now, I think one of the true advantages that Yuri has is he fights tired as well as I've ever seen anybody with his kind of fighting style. It's sort of wild, dynamic, very aggressive fighting style. And when he starts to fatigue, it starts to look even worse, right? It doesn't look fantastic. But then that's when he finds some of that really killer shit. And you're like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, you, you have to have some, some really solid conditioning as well. And there's not a lot of it at 205. <laughs> From this point forward, no matter who you put him in there with, the A side is Yuri. That's who the people are turning in to see. What did you think about his wrestling? 
oh, that's pretty shitty. <laughs> really bad. Um, it, but let, let, take nothing away from, from Glover. He's really strong, so his ability to just snatch a single leg that doesn't look very good. Um, you know, heavyweights are going to wrestle like heavyweights. So when, when the upper weights just grab a single leg, it hardly ever looks pretty unless you're looking at Gable Stevenson. Uh, but with, with, with the upper weights, it tends not to be as, as smooth and technical. But the big man, push on the head, jump and roll, John Jones would eat that style up. He would, and you'd be on your back for a long time. Um, the DC, well, DC's wrestling is solid, but the the height difference. Like, how many times would would Provoska maybe blast him in the face while his leg was getting elevated? Because what six four versus five ten, or whatever whatever lie you want to make up to tell yourself that DC's taller. But wrestling for wrestling's sake, not very good. Um, b- being able to elbow and punch and do some crazy shit while he's being wrestled, very good. Um, but his scrambles are a little bit elementary, and he's so big and so long that he runs into the cage pretty quickly, especially if it's a smaller cage. So that would, I would think that at some point he's going to have to get a, a, give a, a concerted effort to a, an improvement of his traditional wrestling takedown defense. Now let's talk about Teixeira. What did you think of his performance? I love the old man. I do. I also love how they were both so like so so kind and gentlemanly who and sportsmen like with each other. It was so bizarre, but so cool. I admit it made me really, really appreciate fighting, which I haven't done in a while. Um uh, like Glover is strong and hits hard. Um but and but sometimes in that fight it almost appears like he's he's quitting and he's not. He's sort of recouping and recovering. Because he's an older man like at 42, which is probably a gift. I think he's probably a little older than that. But <laughs> conspiracy theories aside, he he would take the time and comport himself, and then give as much effort as he had until he would eventually require another break or breather. And he was able to do that, and I don't want to say handily win those rounds because he didn't. But I, I had him up. I had him up going into the fifth. And I had him up even in the fifth. And was it a bit of a, a, a harebrained move to jump guard? I'm going to say no. Because if Yuri sends you to the shadow realm with a spinning elbow because you stayed on your feet trying to hit him when he's hurt, it, it could very easily go that way. So fighting is a host of calculated risks. He took one. It didn't work out for him. Um, if he wins by guillotine choke, we're having a completely different conversation. Or if he just doesn't get finished in that choke uh, from from Yuri, then you know we're again we're having another another conversation. But he saw a finishing opportunity and he went for it, and that's what we ask of our fighters over and over and over. So when he went for it, hey, sometimes it works for you, sometimes it works against you. In that case, it just didn't work for the old timer, and. Uh, as much as I love watching Yuri fight, I wouldn't have been mad if it did. Teixeira seems like he has all the tools to beat Prohaska, but I think fighters get tunnel visioned in feeling like they have to submit Prohaska because if you hurt him standing, to your point, if you stay standing, God knows what happens. And if you have him on the ground and try to pound him out, 
he will do some parkour and escape. So it seems like your best option is to submit him, which most of his opponents try, even if they're not a grappler. We saw Dominic Reyes do that. Why would he do that unless he felt like he had to do that? He, he just has to choke this guy out. But when you try to submit him, he also parkours himself out. I think Teixeira felt even more urgency, though, because Prohaska was ripping into his body. So Teixeira didn't think he could last. But I got to say, Prohaska has some of the most vicious body shots I've seen at light heavyweight. But it seemed like rather than a game plan, he was just being opportunistic. With Prohaska, you can't say you got to watch out for X because he will throw everything. He's that creative. That elbow finish was his first elbow finish. And also, I think one of the first times he even threw an elbow in an MMA fight. And I think this might be one of the first times he was really ripping into the body. He just does it. And so to agree with you, he just goes by feel. And that's what felt right at the moment. Absolutely. He takes what you give him. And since he's not necessarily uh, planning on having you react a certain way, he's willing to take um, and settle for what is available. And the better you get at doing that, the more finishes you will find when you hunt something. You know, I remember I hit my first, I always have a baseball metaphor somewhere, but I hit my first home run in, in Little League. And the next game I went 0 for 4 because every time I was trying to blast a home, every time I was hunting for, couldn't find it to save my life. I went 0 for 3 against some shitty pitcher named, or 0 for 4 against some shitty pitcher named Kevin. He was not very good. And if I was ever going to go yard a couple times in the game, it should have been significant against him. But I lost my composure. I got a little bit overaggressive. Take what's available. If the walk is there, take the walk. If a, if a single or a double, take it. And that, that's what Yuri is able to do. And when he finds some, either some con- consistency or a little bit of success, he'll still stay with it. And then when you try to take that away from him, he's going to what else is there. You know, if you try to flail against the cage and shift on the exit, that's when you found that that spinning elbow. You would try to cheat him to his offside. It's going to spin and rotate and turn and find that shot. Um, And he's not afraid to grapple, even if it's not his wheelhouse. Why? Because it's an MMA fight. And if he's at the world championship level and he hasn't trained that to some extent, well, then... Shame on all of us, because we'd be watching some fighting that was, you know, at least from a technical perspective, lacking what I would call championship merit. So he had the wherewithal to at least pursue several submissions. And whether anyone wants to believe it, the the grappling really tired out both fighters, not just Yuri, uh, and, and certainly not just Glover. But Glover was exhausted. Yuri was very, very tired. For Prohaska, he knows he can fight better than you if you're both equally exhausted. Yeah, he has that aggressive streak. And I don't know, some guys were built for fighting through fatigue. It hurts them just as bad, but they are familiar there. There's the familiarity and comfort with the uncomfortable. Next, let's talk about the co-main event. Valentina Shevchenko versus Tyler Santos for the women's flyweight title. I think everyone thought it was going to be a typical lopsided victory for Shevchenko, but it was not that. Even though Shevchenko won by decision, a lot of fans and even DC had it for Santos. I thought it could have gone either way, which is to say it was that close. And if it wasn't for an accidental headbutt that closed one of Santos's eye, I think it would have been a clear Santos victory. 
I think with more big fight experience and a more experienced team, Santos could have still had a clear victory despite the closed eye. Jason, what did you think of this fight? Well, I think it was a, it was a very close fight, like you said. But I think the most telling thing is that, that we all witnessed uh, what Shevchenko looked like when she was in there with someone else who can fight and also matched her physicality. Um, she didn't look superhuman anymore. And that, that tends to happen when you're fighting um, in uh, a talent pool that, that isn't overly deep. So, you know, she could, she could sit back on the counter and do the things that she wanted to do against, against lesser competition. She came in, and Santos is, is big and strong. And um, if she can handle some of the heat from Shevchenko, uh, and Shevchenko tries to crash that distance, well, the grappling advantage we all saw was, was in favor of Santos. So I think we're seeing a little bit of vulnerability um, as the – you know, the, the talent continues to develop at 125 pounds. And so if Shevchenko isn't like the overwhelming uh, physical dominator, then, you know, she's forced to fight on the lead a little more, which I think she showed that she could do. But there also is some vulnerability there. Um, it's certainly not her most comfortable. And, you know, the, the fighting is more than just, you know, waiting, 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 drop step. Uh, little little cut kick, drop step, little cut kick, and then when they miss, you go three two and crash that distance with a body lock, which she does, which Shevchenko does incredibly well. But I don't, I don't think that you ever beat uh, Santos badly that way. I think she's just too tough of a matchup, and her skill set, her strengths counter that style all day. And I think I read today that she had to get surgery on her eye because she suffered a broken orbital. So it wasn't just a swollen eye. She was dealing with basically a face fracture. So she was probably dealing with a lot of pain as well. Oh, I'm sure. It's got to be incredibly painful. And, you know, Shevchenko is a, is a strong and, and, you know, powerful woman. She hits, she hits hard. And you, I would think that, you know, knowing that that's, she's really good at sneaking in a couple left kicks to the body and then sneaking it upstairs. Santos did a good enough job of dis- disrupting her timing and rhythm and avoiding that from taking place. Um, but when you're, when you're fighting Shevchenko uh, and, you, and you're able to get ahead, that forces Shevchenko to lead, right? And when Shevchenko leads, she does this thing a little bit differently. When she leads, she's sort of drawing out. She wants to be one and three, right? She wants to lead and then have you go and then she'll counter you or go. Well, when she wasn't having a ton of success with that, Shevchenko would be on the one, she would lead. And then once her opponent would counter where she was having, where Santos was having success on the counter, Shevchenko would crash that distance every time her opponent countered. And it looked like Shevchenko was throwing a 3-2, but she was throwing like a 3-2, but like driving her head forward. And because Valentina Shevchenko is so strong and physical, that clash of bodies and off in the head um, freezes her opponents. And she scores much of the time there off the body lock. And if the body lock isn't there, she'll clinch and she'll elbow and knee, and she has a, a really strong short offense from there. And yes, no doubt that style often results in headbutts. I mean, do I think it's, uh, it's, it's calculated a bit, but I don't think I would go as far as to call it like, overtly dirty because like, Shevchenko, Shevchenko 
Shevchenko is also vulnerable to getting cracked or taken down when leading with their head like that. So, you know, I, I tend to consider it a little more strategy because there is some risk and reward. A big reason this fight was so close was that Shevchenko would strike into the clinch and try to throw Santos. But does Santos show you anything where she could still be effective from the outside if Valentina didn't clinch her or get her own takedowns without Shevchenko initiating? Uh, yeah, she did. I think at, at 28, she's, uh, Santos is still young in her career and has the, and she's, I think she's grappling centric. She, her striking looked pretty good at distance when she was throwing some straight kicks and, uh, and some straight punches and her ability to handle, um, like the inside close quarters pummeling and clinching. She, she's very much at home there and you're not going to get any cheap, like drag down takedowns. You saw what happened the one time uh, Shevchenko tried. So I think you're going to see a continuation of an improvement of the things that, that Santos can do once. I mean, confidence is a hell of a thing. And yeah, it's going to suck that she spent, she's going to spend some time recovering from, from the eye injury uh, from the broken orbital. But when she starts to, she realizes what she can do against one of the more dominating champions in the UFC. And I think that she's going to, you're going to see, uh, she's incredibly strong. She's a good grappler. You're going to see uh, Santos sees some things at distance. And you're going to see those, those skills continue to develop. And when she does, I think she's one of those fighters that also gets fighting and chaining some of the things together, you know, marrying the, the skill sets and the disciplines and combining them. You're going to see it continue to improve. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week. And you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Now let's talk about the people's main event, the rematch between Li Zhang versus Joanna Yanjacek. The first fight was close, and considered to be the greatest women's MMA fight. This fight was also very good, but this time it was completely lopsided, which sometimes happens in rematches. One fighter just pulls away, and Zhang beat the shit out of Yan Jacek from bell to bell, hitting her with everything except the kitchen sink, dominating her in every aspect, then finishing her with a brutal walk-off spinning backfist KO in round two. Chef's kiss performance. But first, can we talk about Fight Ready? Because they were involved in both Prohaska's camp and Zhang's camp. And a lot of fighters go there, and they don't just get some good training. They get better. Even in their losses, they look better. You got Henry Saudo and Coach Eric Alboracine, and you have NeuroForce One for conditioning, and you have Santino DeFranco, their in-house karate coach, which how many gyms have that? Plus Eddie Cha, their Muay Thai coach, what do you think is going on there? Well, their camp management is by far the, the, the best around. When you come from an Olympic training environment, an Olympic wrestling environment, that, that kind of thing is, um, is sort of like baked into the approach to, to getting good at wrestling, drilling, 
understanding where your skill set is strong, where the deficiencies are um, now, and having an organized and well thought plan of approaching those deficits and working it in conjunction strategically and systematically, not just randomly. MMA for far too long, even the greatest camps around, and I've been to them, they do a lot of random shit and they have A-level talent. And that's why they're continuing to win. And also because other camps have A-level talent and they're doing a lot of other random shit too. So the more you can take a step back and you can truly take a, a camp management perspective and you say, hey, don't go to this school and do jujitsu and then do your strength and conditioning the same day. Or do your strength and conditioning on a Tuesday and do a heavy leg day when your central nervous system is so stressed and taxed. And then the next day, because it's not 24 hours of recovery, it's literally the very next day you're trying to spar. Like that's where injuries are born. That's where central nervous system fatigue is born. That's where cortisol levels start to spike. And it takes, uh, once you've been down that road, which Henry Cejudo did at a very young age. So, I mean, right out of high school, he went, he didn't, I don't think he wrestled in college. He went right into the Olympics and won a gold medal. <clears throat> um, he has that camp management perspective with the best of the best at the Olympic training center. I think that there isn't any room to just like uh, say, fuck it. We're going to do it this way. I think they are, they are regimented but not regimented into a one-size-fits-all approach. They are regimented, regimented strategically, and they pay attention to, like I said, the what are the fighters' strengths? What are their deficits? Who are we fighting? Where do we need to, like, what do we need to tighten up? What do we need to add? And when you have all the coaches under one roof communicating, when you have a consistent, logical, coherent message it is easy for that fighter to improve their skill set. There isn't, there's a, there's multiple voices, but there's a singular message and you need that. And you need that because a fight camp can be easily just completely undone by one rogue actor. And for a long time, it's always like the outside strength and conditioning guy who just isn't paying attention or isn't just not even their fault. They're just not in the loop. I think they have organized a, a very cohesive, very strategic style of training. And uh, you're going to see all the other camps eventually copying that shit because if they don't, they're going to leave them all in the fucking dust. Now in this fight, do you think it was Jan Jacek just looking worse or do you think it was Zhang just getting that much better than last time? I think Jan Jacek looked as good as she's looked in a lot. I mean, she looked fantastic. She was making some decent reads. She looked quick. She looked like she was in shape. She looked focused. She looks strong. Yeah, she's really strong. And I think I think probably anyone on the planet other than uh, Wei Li that day, she uh, she wins. But Jang's a fucking wrecking ball, especially when she's on. And she could do no wrong that day. Like even when she was hit, like the, the counters were good. The decision making was fantastic. She looked sharp, she looked focused, and even like her wrestling looked like legit wrestling finishes. She looked like a wrestler doing MMA, not an MMA fighter that learned to wrestle. Um, even some of the stuff that didn't work for her. Like she did a nice little trip whenever she took the back. She was still doing she was still doing the right stuff. And for Jacek, so is she. 
But sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the fucking nail. And on that day, <laughs> Wei Zhang was the fucking hammer. Yeah, and Jacek definitely came in with a game plan. In their first fight, Yan Jacek did well from Southpaw. So in this fight, she fought most of it in Southpaw. But it did not matter. What was Zhang doing to nullify Yan Jacek's normally devastating strikes? Well, mixing in the wrestling so effectively so early. She didn't wait. No, not at all. Not at all. And again, it goes to, like, if you can predict, uh, <laughs> you can control. If you can control, you can exploit. So when you can when you can wrestle early and you have the other person either hyper aware of it or thinking because they lost a round that they have to make that round up and that they have to show some more aggression, it opens up more more possibilities and normally is demonstrative of greater vulnerability and like someone coming out of uh, fight ready, like I can guarantee you they are they are they're primed and ready. To exploit their predictions, and I think they they went in there with a game plan. I think Willie Zhang did the stuff that she wanted to do early, and the response they got from Injacek was exactly what they had what they had drawn up. And um, I'm not saying that that the spinning back fist finish was because I doubt that that was, but the, if that spinning back fist didn't land when it did you would see a rinse and repeat of that kind of domination and at the same time you would have said well yeah Jason never looked bad but she looked like she was getting beat on just about every exchange and that someone was like completely dominating and sometimes that happens sometimes you come with your a shit but other people have a plus shit and that's that's what Lee Zhang came with I think her her fight camp was ready and if she continues to fight that way and you don't always have to get a takedown. You can almost get a takedown. And then you're going to see, especially as physically strong as she is, you will see some hesitancy. And when you're able to draw out that, that hesitation, then you can start leading the dance. And everything else gets a little bit easier after that. To your point, Jan Jacek did hold her own as far as striking and kicking goes in the early part of round one. Then she got brawling, and that's when she began to lose and ultimately get KO'd while she was chasing her. How did a technician who likes to fight from the outside get pulled into brawls and chasing a fighter with shorter reach? Well, when she was trying to finish the, when, uh, when Yin Jacek was trying to finish some of these combinations with a left hook, she would run into like this top-down right hand from Wei Li Zhang at the end of the combination. And you would, you, would, you would hear something hit with a thud and then they would both reset. And you know how grizzled uh, Ioana is, but whenever you saw them reset for a second, um, Wei Li Zhang still had like that little bit of shoulder roll and that little bit of fuck you forward movement where Yin Jacek was just taking a second to comport herself just for a second. And once that started happening multiple times throughout that first round, it was sort of like an oh shit moment that I picked up on. I'm like, oh no, I don't think this is going to go. I think this is going to be dominant. It's not going to go very well for Ioana. Uh, and and that's that that's how it bore out, right? So those combinations early, and the Wei Li Zhang understanding that she could reset and recreate those situations over and over again. And if Yuan and Jacek was was 
but had the inclination, we'll do this over and over and over. Well, even though she was still scoring with that right hand, even though Weili Zhang was scoring with that right hand, she'd have no problem like ducking and doubling or sneaking a single or like clinching and body locking or running against the cage. She was mixing it up and she was being diverse and she was being effective with that diversity and continuing to fight even off of, I don't want to call them failed attempts, but attempts that didn't, didn't bear fruit. It still put her in a position to continue to strike, whether it was a knee, whether it was a secondary or tertiary wrestling attempt, or to strike on the exit. You know, that kind of shit is hard to deal with, and it is it is a significant rhythm disruptor, and it's very very difficult to catch your rhythm um, if every time you start to have success, you you eat a right hand or you you get beat to the clinch and put against the cage. You can't. You can't really get any momentum. And uh, Wei Li Zhang didn't let her get any. It also looked like Yan Jacek was gassing because she was throwing everything into her punches but missing by a mile in round two. You think it was just anger or emotions or you think Yan Jacek saw there's an opening for a certain strike she was looking for and that was part of the game plan. But Zhang was really quick at getting out of range and also saw the shots coming. I think I think uh, Zhang was good at getting out of range and, and could see and could see the shots coming. She also has a hell of a chin; she really does. And I think some people sleep on that because that the head kick knockout that would have pretty much knocked out any adult. I think we forget that KO happened right after this war with Joanna, and Joanna didn't fight for two years because of that fight. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. So there was a lot of head trauma on both sides. It was like it was the the living definition of a knockdown drag out. It was it was it was really an exceptional fight, and there was a ton of damage on both sides. And I think what I don't want to say it was necessarily a problem for Joanna when you're out of the limelight that much for that long, and you you and, and she's a star. Right, Joanna Jinjacek in Jacek is a star. She wanted to be a star again, and she fought. She fought exceptionally well. And I think about just about anybody like that. That kind of effort would have won for her. But I think a little more strategy would have been necessary. And you at least need some wrestling chops to have a variety and diversity uh, of attacks, so that um, Wei Li Zhang can't sit on some of your stuff. And, and it wasn't that, that Ioana and company came in with a, get, a bad game plan because, I mean, she looked fast and she looked strong and her timing looked exceptional for someone with that kind of time off. But it just seemed like that there was urgency before there needed to be urgency. And who kept getting the better of that? Um, obviously, Wei, Wei Li Zhang. And, it, you know, it, it, it turned out the way it turned out. So, but very seldom do I ever have, like, feelings of of sympathy for a fighter when my fighter that i'm rooting for pulling for wins and i was pulling for wadey Zhang the entire time but it's when someone does the right shit and still gets fucked up like for team team right thing and right stuff i feel a little bit bad and so i felt bad for for yuana in that moment because i like the stuff she was throwing so all the credit need, needs to be with fight ready and their fighter Wei Li Zhang, because she was the, she was ready, willing, and able to endure all of it. And she came back with her own stuff that 
Iran wasn't ready for. At strawweight, no one takes Yan Jacek down like that and keeps her there, ever, let alone beat the shit out of her, not even current champ Carla Esparza. What was Zhang doing that others couldn't? She was quick to transition to a finish um, because Yan Jacek has an excellent wizard and she's normally pretty tall and she's got great balance. So she'll use the cage, or she'll hop on one foot, she'll have a wizard, a little bit of head pressure, she'll bump that wizard, she'll put her foot on the mat or put her foot to the outside and use it as sort of like a, a shin wizard in your instep um, of your knee and push that head away, pummel, and she's strong. But when people don't give you that transit, transition time, and great wrestlers don't, Great wrestlers don't have a hitch from the time they snatch that leg to where they're immediately finding an angle and turning. And then whenever you counter turn, they're either dragging and they're hitting, they're hitting this little, um, call it a, like a treetop where you, where you drop down to the ankle and then you just elevate. Continuation of that movement, never letting that other person truly get their balance or settle. And you saw that. And um, Willie Zhang has the physicality to continue to move a person. And if she has the right technique to power it, you know, we can talk like technique, 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 like all the jujitsu crazies talk all the time, but great technique versus great strength and great technique. I'm giving the great strength and great technique, the benefit of the doubt right there. That's where the advantage lies. And I think that's what you saw with her, um, her growth at fight ready is an exceptionally strong and physically capable, uh, fighter with with some great physical attributes really really improve on a technique then honestly i think she's really built for i think if you took a couple years and wanted to see how good of a wrestler you can make her you could probably do some pretty cool shit on the international level you know just to add something there yeah and jaytech is also really good with a wrestling defense as far as like that wrestling adage of hands first right you defend the takedown with your hands first so she has really good stiff arms or she just shoves them off. So those are kind of her signature initial first layer of wrestling defense. And then she goes into all the things that you're talking about. Whereas in this fight, you didn't see any of that hand fighting that she's known for where she could push off, she could stiff arm because Wiley was already so close to her when she went in for the shot. So I think that's another difference is unlike Jessica Andrade or Carla Esparza who were trying to shoot from further out, Zhang was already so close to her when she went for the takedown. Oh, yeah. The, the, she went from like stance, level change, penetration, immediately to finish. And with those finishes, even if she wouldn't get it in the first instance, she would still have a continuation of movement where she was moving a fighter in a vulnerable situation, in a disadvantaged situation, elevating that leg or hitting a body lock and having good, uh, good control on the lower back. Uh, Foot sweeps, keeping those those feet moving. And it's not just that you have to pay attention to the wrestling. You can start improving feet and hip position. But when you're doing that, you're vulnerable to elbows on the inside or knees if you try to, to create space. What space do you create? You create some striking space. And if you were, um, your primary attention is, is geared towards wrestling defense and their primary uh, motivation is fighting, well, they're going to start scoring in those positions. And if you don't, and they've beaten you to that position, and you don't make wrestling a primary, you end up on your back. And, you know, again, you got to give a lot of credit to the wrestling improvement 
of Weili Zhang and the lack of hesitation, the, the seamless transitions from penetration to elevation and finish, understanding of uh, the over-under position, the pummel position, body locks, all of it looked really, really good. It looked, like I said, I said it looked like legitimate wrestling. And I, I like to see that development in mixed martial arts because if you go into a mixed martial arts fight with only striking discipline mindset, well, there's a limitation. You can do some really cool shit if you're really great at it. But if you grow it and you build on it, you can do more shit. And you don't get those days of, all I wanted to do was wrestle. Well, you're allowed to learn the same skills. And if you do, you're going to be better. So there's no one to blame but yourself if you don't develop them. And so as much as I was sad to see to see team do the right shit lose, team do the better shit won. <laughs> right? That's what makes this fight so good. It was the opponent fighting really well and the other person fighting even better. No doubt. That's exactly what it was. And like you don't wanna you don't wanna win because someone else fails. You want to win because you drew out that domination. You set it up. You build it. You grew it. You found it. Rather, you know, you want to catch the game-winning touchdown. You don't want the other team to fumble on the one-yard line. You know, whatever sports metaphor you want to throw in there. But you want to create that opportunity. You want to be something you did, not a mistake so much someone else made. So, you know, uh, we we really really lucked out in in this fight, and hey, I give Yohan Jacek a lot of shit. I hope she does not retire. She still has a, a few more fights, and I guess it depends on on how her brain feels because she said uh, her head was still ringing. That was a pretty nasty shot, but she's she's got the goods. And I I would, you know, a lot of people would say that I'm an idiot for even bringing this up, but I think that version of Joanna probably beats uh, Thug Rose. I think so, but but I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> but I'm incredibly biased usually against those two. So if the, if the, if those two fought, you know, I liked what I saw from from Ioana and Jacek in that fight, and I think that she would have been a problem for just about any any other 115 pound fighter in the world. There's game plans, but there's also improvements as a fighter, as you mentioned. And Zhang seemed like she's still getting better even into her 30s. Because when she got to the UFC, she seemed like she had okay wrestling, basic striking, more instinct than smart adjustments, but incredible speed and strength. The only thing that looked sharp and clever about her striking were the sidekicks, which she used to spam, but now she doesn't rely on them as much. But also when she lands them, they are way more devastating than they used to be, like a side teep. So now... I no longer recognize that previous fighter that entered the UFC. What's improved for Zhang in her last several fights? You already mentioned wrestling, but beyond that. So when you build out your skill set and you have more diversity, now you have more things to think about. So you don't tend to spam stuff. You have to build on stuff. You need a layered attack. You need to grow it out for it to bear fruit. When you don't have a diverse skill set. You'll just do what works and you'll start to see like you used to, I used to see in the wrestling room all the time, guys that wouldn't improve their skill set would still win. But the guys that they were beating in practice over and over, 
were continuing to, to like slowly break down that distance between them. You know, what was once like a 12-4 match is now like an 8-6 match. And so, like, yeah, you may never have the goods to, to beat them because the other person ahead of you is just a little more physical. But if you don't have like a layered variety, then you're not thinking about as much a lot of the times. And if you're not thinking and the other person is, they can sneak you. They can gain ground. They can do some pretty tricky shit. And especially in the cage when you have to worry about strikes and everyone is literally just getting nicked on the side of the head and taking a nap and it could be lights out for you, that you have a greater opportunity, even if you are outmatched in a certain category or maybe outmatched overall. So when you see someone who is almost never physically outmatched, continue to grow their toolkit, continue to build on it. Now, because you have more tools and more techniques, you are thinking sequentially. You're thinking and building off of it. When you can do that, that changes the way you fight. And when you can do that, like, you, can, you can win rounds. When you win rounds and the other person gets a little bit desperate or a little bit impatient, they're exploitable. And I think that's what you're, that's what you're getting, is the, a fighter in Wei Li Zhang who is starting to understand that she has some legitimate tools and these tools when used correctly can really help um, exploit some holes and even other outstanding fighters games. There also seems to be a performance boost for Zhang when she fights in Asia and doesn't have to deal with the time change and jet lag, but also when she's fighting with a friendlier crowd. Also no visa issues for her coaches. She fought three times in Asia for the UFC. Jessica Aguilar, Jessica Andrade, and Joanna Janjacek. All devastating and quick finishes. I feel like if you're Zhang, you keep asking for fights in Asia. But this is something also that other fighters from the East have complained about. How hard it is for them to fight when they're traveling from Japan or Korea. Somewhere from that region, China, and flying to the U.S. and trying to fight. And the way the UFC does it. They'll pay for these free tickets, but like it'll be a few days before your fight. They're not going to fly in all your trainers. You often don't have even a gym to train in. You have to train in your room. So when Zhang isn't dealing with all those problems, we see her at her full potential. And that I hope the UFC recognizes that because she's she is just absolutely outstanding. And does some incredibly exciting, very fun stuff. And whether you're uh, a Wei Zhang fan or a Joanna Yanjaisik fan, that fight was fun, even though it ended as it did. You should want that. So how do you get that? I mean, having her be the road dog over and over and over, knowing that the kind of like stress and strain it puts on a fighter whenever you're talking about uh, the weight cut is already difficult, traveling is already difficult, even if you're just doing it stateside. Um, because your 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 pattern and your rhythms are broken, so there's a lack lack of comfort and lack of familiarity. So I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see her fight at her best, just so that we can see the best Wei Li Zhang for for a while. And there's it's a huge market. They're crazy not to develop it. You got a stu- superstar there, develop it. Like just from a strictly capitalist perspective, grow it, grow it, exploit it as much as you can. You know? But knowing the UFC, they'll probably fuck it up. (laughs) All right. This episode is getting long already. So let's end this here. 
we'll put our preview of Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett on the Patreon. If you like what we do, sign up for the Patreon. We also recently launched Liberation Martial Arts Online, which is our online MMA training program. It's still being built out with content, so it's going to be constantly updated, probably forever. That's also on Patreon, so check that out. You can not only listen to us break down fights, but you can also learn from us. Well, more from me right now. We're still building out the scaffolding for good habits and fundamentals. Jason's going to have to help us out when we get more into the fighting techniques and strategies. And he's definitely an advisor on this project because the man has a million college degrees. That's right. So what are you waiting for? Sign up. With all that said, thanks for listening. Always a pleasure.